Welcome to Profound Black. Performing Black is a celebration of the work that pushes the culture forward and a conversation of the work that leaves us wanting more. Oh, damn. This podcast will make you laugh, but most importantly, it's going to make you think. Performing Black is a celebration of black people and black art. Love, of course. Today we have a very special guest. He's a wonderful counselor, mighty God, Prince of Peace. He's a wonderful counselor, mighty God, Prince of Peace. When you're down and out and you need someone to talk to, he's a wonderful counselor. Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a wonderful counselor. Yes, he is. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. You got him. <laughs> you are very excited to introduce a good friend of mine, Miss Angela Burchett, who is a Broadway actress, but you all probably know her as Jackie Clark Chisholm in the Clark Sisters First Ladies of Gospel. Hello, Angela. Hey. <laughs> you ready to get into it? Let's get all the way into it. I'm ready. Oh, yes. Okay, Angela, um, I don't know if you remember this. I, I remember it vividly. We met uh, in Chicago on the national tour of The Color Purple. Um, I think it was a 27. You were on the tour? I was not on the tour. I got to witness Angela's amazing performance on the tour in Chicago. Okay, good. And uh, we met after the show. Um, and I just, I remember telling you I knew Kenzie and uh, we took a picture. And I just remember you're, you're such a sweet, sweet person. And your spirit is so joyful and generous and kind. Um, I just want to say thank you for that. Oh, you're so welcome. I remember us talking. I remember. You're so sweet, too. Thank you. But you were just so just chill and kind. It was it was a pleasure to chat and talk with you. Thank you. Okay, so what Alan is not saying is that he is absolutely obsessed with the color purple. <laughs> when I first met Alan, you know, and I have lots of challenges with that uh, particular mm. show, <laughs> uh, but he loved it, and he did not care that I didn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> Alan, what is it about the show that you love so much and, yeah. and maybe Angela can come in and talk about those things and how it relates, you know, with her and her experience being on the Broadway stage in the show, but also the national mm-hmm. tour. So I think, so I first actually saw the, produ- the Broadway production uh, in 2015 um, and immediately I fell in love with um, just the story of a black woman experiencing so much uh, trauma, but also coming to uh, triumph toward the end of the show. 
Uh, and it was so inspiring also just to see the levels of black women's kinship uh, and the way black women interact with one another and up, uplift one another. That was just so paramount for me watching that, watching that show. Um, and I, I saw it with my mom and, you know, sitting there next to her and watching another black woman go through all of this and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, pull herself and, you know, of course, have the help of others pull her through that. It was just, it made me actually understand my mother even that much more because she has experiences wow. that she's told me about and, you know, seeing it on stage like that put it all into perspective for me. And just the spiritual, ooh, the heart of that show, I can, I can feel the spirit of God moving through the lyrics, through the musical composition, and the way that the show was staged, the way it was musically directed by Jason, what, what is it, Jacob, Jason Michael, Michael Webb, yeah. Um, yeah. That was just outstanding to me. It's probably my favorite show that I've seen. Alan's talking, you know, about womanhood, you know, I guess coupled with blackness and the show. So can you talk about your journey uh, with the show as a black woman? Uh, Well, my journey with the show uh, was just probably from start to finish magical for so many reasons. Um, You know, I've been in New York 15 years. It'll be 15 years in January. And, uh, you know, a lot of shows that seemingly were like perfect for me always seemed to elude me, including this show. When they first were auditioning, you know, uh, in the beginning, they weren't even seeing people that didn't have certain things on their resume or, you know, that John was not, you know, interested in seeing, which, you know, kind of, when I heard that, kind of put a little bad taste in my mouth, but I said, you know, people will probably leave the show or, you know, things will change. And if it comes up again for me, it's cool. But I was also at a place in my life where I had been at this for 10 years. And I said, you know, uh, if this year, which was 2016, if things don't kind of, you know, go in a certain direction, I'm really going to start looking at uh, other things. I enjoy other things. I do live music. I'm a studio session singer. I'm a, you know, I do all types of things. So I was kind of at that point that, like, people, I guess, kind of come to where they say, you know, I'm this age. I've put so much into this. I feel like I'm doing everything right. I'm doing my work, and it's just not happening. So maybe it could be I'm barking up the wrong tree or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, in a matter of months, like maybe two months, of me kind of internally stating to myself, the show... It didn't, I don't want to say it dropped in my lap, but it was really mine to lose, <laughs> honestly, in, in hindsight. you know, They kind of went to the cast and said, hey, guys, we need uh, a female swing to cover pretty much everyone except, you know, Seeley, the, the principals. We need an ensemble girl that can cover all of these things. Do you guys know anybody? Because we, we got to kind of move fast. We've got to start giving you our vacation and we don't really have time to do a long blah, blah, blah. So from what I'm told, before they could get the sentence out, everybody in the cast that knew me, which was about 80, 90% of the cast said, Angela Burchett, you have, you have to call her. Like, she's the perfect person for this. Mm-hmm. And um, I, feel, I feel a little knot in my chest. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I'm not going to lie. I apologize okay. if I get a little choked up. 
because okay. just just it it to go from I was doing bands and I was you know making a lot of money actually so my life wasn't horrible but it wasn't what I came here for mm-hmm. and I kept trying to figure out you know why am I chasing this thing that seems like it does is not for me it doesn't want me you know but uh, you know the years leading up to it I started you know hosting a residency that became really popular so people like Jason Michael Webb and his partner Leland Thompson and Savion Glover and all these folks would come and enjoy the show and kind of got to know me for real not just when I walk in the room for 16 bars so when my name started getting thrown around they all were like oh yeah definitely but of course you know John Doyle had to be the the you know the gatekeeper for that so John Doyle is the director. Yes, John Doyle, who, um, who you know, is a very um, prominent Broadway director and is known for taking shows and kind of flipping them, re- re- reworking them, reimagining them. You know, they called my, my rep and said, hey, we want to bring her in. This is going to be Fast and Furious. It was the week before Tony's, uh, the Tony Award. So mm-hmm. I would know that week if I booked it and would be starting rehearsals like the next Tuesday after that. I, I'm on a short list of women who I have admired, who I have watched in performance and have been so moved or they're friends of mine that I'm thinking, you know, wow, <laughs> I don't have any Broadway credits. I'm the girl everybody in here knows, but I don't, I don't have what they have. I, I kind of had to really dig down in myself. I, uh, it was the old Chelsea building and I, had to go back downstairs because I literally felt myself hyperventilating because I had coached and I had worked and I knew this stuff. I was dressed right. I was, it was, you know, and Jason's partner uh, was my coach who already was my coach and not because of this. He had already been coaching me on things. And he said, honey, you just have to go in there and be honest, be you don't be anything else. And uh, I went in there and, uh, I did, you know, they brought me in and I did the stuff and I walked out. They didn't say anything. I'm going in the bathroom, putting my clothes back on. And I'm, you know, of course, my my, my heart's in my stomach mm-hmm. because I'm like, oh, well, here's just a, another letdown. And long story short, uh, the, 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 the day was going to go like this. They saw maybe 20, 25 girls. They were going to cut it down to two, come back at five. John's going to be in the room and he's going to decide tonight. So... It's down to me and another young lady who is a friend of mine who is a fierce actress, fierce singer, could absolutely do the job. Mm-hmm. Still, I'm thinking... Were you all in, in front of each other? Like, was she there as well? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, okay. they called all of us in at one time. It was like a 2 o'clock call. All the women are there. We're all in the lobby. Everybody's looking at everybody. You know the, the, the drill. And then... Everybody gets cut except she and I. They all leave. And she goes and, you know, does whatever she does. I sit there and I just gather my myself, my ass, all of it. <laughs> and 5 o'clock rolls around. John Doyle walks in, goes in the room, uh, and I go first. Did it. And um, I, for big auditions, I always have a picture of my twin nieces. I have, well, they're my, my goddaughters, but they call me auntie. And 
Uh, we're not blood related, but I'm literally like their other mom. They are, they have pulled me through some really tough times just by them demand, their presence demanding my presence to show up. And so I, I had their picture in my pocket and I just, I just touched it and I said, okay, this is it. And I went in, I did the material and John, I felt like a warmth kind of come over the room and John they told me, if John starts asking you stuff about you personally, that's a good sign. So he starts asking me about where I went to college and my parents and all these things and, you know, all the things. And that was that. Uh, he gave me maybe one adjustment, did it, and that was that. And when I walked in the room, he said, oh, you're dressed like Sophia, which was yeah. not on purpose. I, I hadn't even seen the show yet. So I didn't even know what Sophia wears, but it just, it was lined up. Long story short, I'm... At Leland's house the next day, coaching for another a television rehearsal uh, audition, actually. And I take a break to go to the bathroom. My agent calls me and tells me that I booked it. Mm. I think I broke the garbage can in their bathroom. <laughs> and when I <laughs> and when I open the door, Jason is at the door with tears running down his face. Mm. And he said, Babe, you were fantastic. You were fantastic. You are exactly, your energy and your spirit is what our show needs. I knew it. Maddie knew it. We just had to, John knew it, but we had to, we had to, yeah, we had to go through the motions really, but Mm -hmm. you earned that. You, you, we didn't give that to you. So welcome. And uh, I came to the theater and the first person I ran into on an off day, because this was like a Monday, I opened the door, Cynthia just happens to be at the theater. Mm. And she said, "Uh, oh, my love, welcome. We're so happy to have you. I'm so excited you're here with my terrible British accent. I was just about to say, girl, that's the coaching you need to go get. That's terrible. Sometimes it just has to be the right thing at the right time, and you have to be in the right place. Over the years of working with the show and going on tour and really getting a chance to work directly with, with John, you know, here and there, I found ways to to reconcile some things, some issues that I have with the show uh, in terms of, you know, how we are positioned uh, and how we how we express ourselves musically. Well, and, this and- is the perfect time for me to say that that is my challenge with The Color Purple <laughs> and that I do think, and I did not see the second production of The Color Purple. I didn't see the John Duell. I saw the original one. And it is because of the reasons that you just said, that you have folk who don't know the culture, you know, in our uh, P-Valley episode, we talk about, you know, (laughs) the importance of being specific Mm -hmm. in playing Black, but also Black South. Like, it is a very specific thing. And I can see that tension on most Broadway stages that are directed or choreographed by non-black people when the story is 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 rooted in blackness and that tension for me is always present you know and so stripping the show down to make it there and minimal to me does not change the book (laughs) it doesn't change the music you know um and even with a black person you know being musical director and as sweet and as generous as both he and Leland are Believe it or not, this year at midnight when I, I'm not going to say my age, when I turned my age, I was at their home in L.A., Ah. um, which is really interesting. Can you talk about, you know, 
the impact of this British director and also the impact of, you know, Cynthia Revo, British black woman playing this Southern woman and also receiving, maybe not with this play, but definitely for Harriet, receiving a lot of backlash from the black public, American black public. Can mm-hmm. you just talk about that? Not you know, her story, because you, you're you not her, but right. just uh, the British uh, influence on this production. Yeah. Well, um, I found it very interesting as I, particularly when I was working on the Broadway production and, you know, we changed, well, at my, my time there, we changed uh, principal um, cast uh, members a couple of times. So we had a lot of opportunity to kind of go back to basics and look at things because they wanted to kind of build the the new person into the show, but bring, you know, who they were to it, blah, 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 and just kind of freshen the show up. And so um, one of the things that struck me as interesting was that um, British directing and uh, the approach to acting that they find difficult to contend with with American actors is this sense of uh, American actors are too sentimental. They feel too much what does that mean yeah um they there they there's a there's there's a note on feeling emotional that we see in acting that you just don't see in in british act, acting according to john i wasn't super excited about kind of how we did group numbers because there was this influence of kind of keep the lid on it let's not get too too moved. Let's not get too worked up. And I don't know if that was to, to create a, such a difference from the original production or and in conjunction with this whole notion that American actors, black, white, or otherwise, get too sentimental. Whatever, whatever he meant, truly meant by that. You know, that's crazy to me, and it's making me want to move on because it's making me mad. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, because I mean, that is so unblack. You know what I'm saying? Like, we are emotional. We are, you know, and and especially American Black, you know, because of our experience. Look at the political climate right now. So, like, for me, the show has failed, and I'm glad I didn't see it. Um, (laughs) Well, may may I interject also, that I think a lot of it, uh, and when I say I think, it's my interpretation of his, you know, several moments in, in rehearsals and note sessions where he's explaining a lot of things and he's giving, you know, his backstory or his, not backstory, but like his, his support for why he is making this choice or sending us in this direction mm-hmm. is that he feels that in, he would say, quote unquote, other productions, which we know you mean <laughs> the original, <clears throat> that a lot of the book got lost because of this notion of everything has to be hype. But see, this is that's my whole point, that just by stripping and making the stage bare, he feels like he got closer to the book because his focus is language. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't understand that there is a heart that happens when, that that is exposed and that is going to come out automatically, mm-hmm. innately, you know, in this particular show that is about so much gut-riching emotion. Yeah. You know, so that's just crazy to me. Now, Angela, you have a history of your shows uh, being around Black women's kinship, including Dreamgirls um, and, of course, The Color Purple um, and, most recently, the Clark Sisters movie. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, first of all, yes. can you just tell us a little bit about how it how that process was of first getting uh, into the movie, but also the rehearsal process and preparing for that role, and even your relationship with Jackie. <laughs> was still on tour we were we were getting ready to finish up and my good friend michael chen who uh is an exec over at lifetime who i met at lights out this is just another case of things all aligning because that before that i didn't know him uh, he was there mm-hmm. working for uh I, alvin ailey you know, mm-hmm. alvin ailey right yep. he was their uh tour manager yep. company, tour company manager, manager. Yep. he mm-hmm. a friend had brought him to lights out for his birthday and said, you got to hear this girl. We're going to have such a good time. And he just has, he's one of those people that has this thing about him that clicked with me. And we literally like stayed friends since then. Uh, so, you know, word came down the pike over at Lifetime that this, there was talks that this was a, a strong possibility that this was going to be in their whatever season. So he called me and he said, hey, I just want to put a bug in your ear that, they, this is happening and you need to get up in there. So soon as, you know, they start, they're ready to start casting. I'll make sure that, you know, I, of course I can't like do anything extra, but I will definitely make sure I push your name up there so that when it's time to send out stuff to be going tape, you're in there. And that's what happened. Long story short, they had me read for Three sisters, actually. My the first sister I read for was Twinkie, and then I didn't read for any more for a long time. So, once again, I thought, oh, well, okay, I guess I'm out, you know. But um, but word was coming back, you know, because I kind of had the inside track. Um, that they loved me. They were like, man, we who is this girl? Twinkie Bird was casting. You know, everybody knows Twinkie. She's been around for years and years and years, and she's also good friends with Michael and said, yo, who is this girl? Like. Why, why don't, why has this the first time I've seen her? This is ridiculous. Like, where is she? Why is she in New York? Oh, she's a theater girl. Well, she needs to get her ass to LA. Like, she's beautiful. <laughs> she did wonderful with the material. She can sing the camera. I mean, she was just going off. And I'm like, whoa, like, I, I was not expecting that feedback. And normally you wouldn't get that. Twinkie Bird, who is a casting director. So Twinkie Clark did not cast no. the movie, but it was Twinkie Bird. And Twinkie Bird has uh, cast lots of movies like Stomp the Yard, Notorious, Jumping the Broom, Woman Thou Art Loosed, um, Fruitvale Station, So and Black Nativity. I auditioned for that movie. She ain't put me in it. But um, <laughs> she put me in the next one. Yes, <laughs> man. Big shout out to Tracy. Her name is Tracy. Tracy right. Bird. Um, yeah. Big shout out to her because um, she really was and still is like I can give her a call and, you know, she's always like, are you doing this? Are you doing that? You got to do this. You know, uh-uh, mm-hmm. we got, you know, we, we black women. So we got to do this. Do you know what's crazy is that I was working at the Brooklyn Museum and she came up and I guess because she is very nice. Uh-huh. She's a very nice woman. She came up. Um, and I guess we got to talking. I guess I mentioned that I was an actor and she was like, oh, you don't know who I am? She said, Google me and walked away. Ooh. And guess what I did? You Googled her. I went and Googled her, Googled her. and my face fell to the floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, so so ultimately they sent me more sides and 
when it came down. And when I got, and Jackie was the very last one I got. And as soon as I got the material, I was like, yep, this is the one. This is the one. Mm. This is the one. And just for me knowing, I mean, I'm, I've always been obsessed with the Clark sisters. I have two sisters. We sing, we sang all of their stuff growing up in the 90s, uh, mm-hmm. late 80s, 90s. We're from the same town. I, I didn't grow up cozy, but I grew up apostolic, which is basically the same thing. Basically the same. Y'all was mm-hmm. one in praise last. Right. <laughs> and speaking in tongues and, 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 and carrying in the room. Oh, yeah, Terry, you don't get up till, mm-hmm. till them tongues come. You them tongues come. Right. And then missionary <laughs> tell you, oh, no, honey, that's not tongues. That's stammering lips. Come back next Sunday. You ain't got it. You don't got it. That's not it. That's just your, you tired. Your tongue is stammering. Come back next I'm week. <laughs> so, so it just, once again, just like the color purple, it kind of all came together. Just everything aligned and uh, called me. They made me the offer. I flipped out. I couldn't believe it. I was so excited. Uh, and just around the time that they told me I had booked it was Christmas time. And I, I go home every Christmas. So I said, hey, so I need to get a meeting with Jackie. I want to sit down and talk to her. I need to talk to her outside of her performing or stuff on YouTube. I want to watch her. I want to see her mannerisms. I want to really see what she'll share. Mm-hmm. And what I thought was going to turn into like, you'll be a 30 minute talk or something. Cause it was like right after Christmas, like the day after Christmas or something like that mm-hmm. turned into literally like a four hour cackling session. She is the auntie that <laughs> you love and you just want to be around. Mm-hmm. She told the truth. <laughs> Ooh, that woman tells the truth and she don't care because her motto is, my truth is my truth. Karen got her truth. Dorinda got her truth. Twinkie got hers. And Denise got hers. And I got mine. And if you don't like your part in it, I'm, I don't know what to tell you. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. And that's probably why we saw a lot of Jackie in the story. Because Jackie was really very vocal. She was not afraid. She told me stuff that I'm thinking, now, lady, you don't know me from Adam's house, cat. You probably shouldn't be telling me this. But she said, no, I want you to, because I don't know. She didn't know what was going to be in the story because the script was still being rewritten and revised. She said, but I want you to have as much as you can have so you can tell this thing honestly. Because, you know, we know that Jackie is the one that everybody is like, oh, Jackie don't sound like them. She can't really sing like them. You know, she, she went through a lot. And what people finally learned, I hope they learned through the film, is that even though, no, she wasn't, leading all the songs on the albums and she wasn't Karen or Dorinda or, or Twinkie. She was the anchor. She was the reason why once Maddie left the scene, business deals wasn't falling through and they was getting, you know, no, you're not about to pay us $10,000. You about to pay us this and not one note going to get saying till the ch- I see the check. And mm. that's what P pe- and I'm a big sister. I'm the oldest of three girls. So I understood, and we from the same town. Our cadence is the same. She's loud like me. She say crazy <laughs> stuff, and, and she's funny. And I said, Auntie Jackie, this is going to be an honor to, to play you, and, and I'm so excited, and thank you for just being open and honest with me. And throughout the process, she was, any questions you have, you know, please feel free to call me day or night when they came to set to shoot. We had a good old time, and it was just funny kind of them seeing us dress like them back in the early 2000s and, mm-hmm. you know, and then meeting Anjanou Ellis. And I, I've probably never seen anything more touching in my life than to see three grown women break down into a oh, mess for 20 yeah. minutes because mm-hmm. their mother, to them, their mother walked in that room. 
Because Anjanou mm-hmm. Ellis mm-hmm. straight bodied every moment of that movie that she was every in. Thing. You know I told Ooh. you. You know I told you the movie was about 20 minutes too long and it should have been over when she died. <laughs> <laughs> when the movie should have just been in it. It should have probably been called the Maddie Moss Clark story. Right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't disagree with any of that. Anjanou Ellis is a, a favorite of ours over mm-hmm. here. So... Can you talk? Can you talk more about just what was it like being around her? Even to talk about her process, maybe that you yeah. saw. I did. She say she she went off in, in a closet and had to scream sometimes yeah. to get her voice. Yeah, right. she. We. Yeah. I, I had her on um, back in the summer. I did. Uh, I was trying to do a little series, but I, she was the only one I nailed down. But I was, <laughs> you know, I wanted to, you know, if I'm gonna be on Instagram talking and I wanted to talk about something and not just be sitting there hearing the same questions. Everybody's heard us ask, ask or answer. So what I wanted to bring, what I brought her on about was I just called it an actor prepares. And we wanted to talk about process. And like a lot of people don't really know or get are privy to see actors, particularly of her caliber, what they go through to prepare for a role. So um, both there and just in our own little emails and little chats when I ask her stuff, um, she just shares with me how, you know, um, a lot of people think, you know, uh, because I do this, that, you know, things just come when they, they see the final product that they think it just it just came out that way. She said, you know, this movie really challenged me. There were moments when I kind of wanted to give up on myself a little bit because I felt like I just wasn't nailing it. And in my mind, I'm thinking, mm. lady, what? But then she explained <laughs> she used the example of, you know, um, already she's not a singer. Like she'll tell you that I'm not a singer. I can get by but I'm not a singer I'm an actor and all of them pretty much and particularly Dr. Maddie had this particular sound when they spoke when they sang and she was struggling with the fact that she couldn't seem to get that part of her physicality for the role so one day we were shooting um it was the scene when we're talking about Twinkie comes in to tell us that she sold her catalog and Maddie's explaining to us what happened and she's like loses it with her and so we had to kind of keep stopping that and Anjanou would walk off and we were filming in this tiny little house um and we were in the kitchen of that house so there wasn't really we we were in Toronto in the dead of winter so it was freezing cold in the house outside of the house snow everywhere it was crazy I feel like I was in boot camp or something but um we're literally in the close-ups we're all in like Ugg boots or whatever thermal boots because the house was so cold that anytime we weren't in a full shot we needed them because our feet were like numb but we're standing there like we're just sitting around the table eating breakfast it was so crazy but she would leave and go into like a closet somewhere and we would hear her like scream and I'm thinking then I was thinking, oh, this lady is crazy. Why is she screaming? Like somebody is, like it sounded like an argument, like like somebody's arguing and they just decided to scream at the person. That's what it sounded like. And she would come back in and she we do it again and she would just, she'd stop and be like, no, you know. And so now down the road, as we've talking about it, she was saying, I was doing that. Not a great choice on my part, but I was doing that because I was trying to like make myself hoarse. I was trying to like create, manufacture this raspiness and it just wasn't happening. But the brilliant thing that she said to me was that's when you're, when you're training as an actor and your instincts as an actor kick in, transfer the power that you think is in the sound of her voice into her choices, into her presence. Mm -hmm. 
And that's exactly what she did. Thank you for uh, sharing my little video that I made <laughs> interviewing her. I mean, you said her comments back to me were from me, but she's so generous and nice. Uh, and I thank you for sharing. Oh, that. yeah, absolutely. I want to tell her to put me in, a, in something. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, the movie was about singing, so we have to talk about, you know, you and music, and you mentioned your sisters. I remember uh, many years ago, <laughs> you um, I, uh, you introduced me to your sisters, and, and we were sitting, I think we were at a restaurant, and y'all sang, I think it was the Star Spangled Band. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, like, wanted to just throw the ketchup across the room, <laughs> and then y'all, like, sang it. Y'all had no rehearsal. <laughs> You know, y'all sang it very soft and sweet, and that harmony was so... T I was, it was amazing. So, you know, let's talk about your journey in music. Oh, yeah. Um, well, you know, I it's, it's so funny how much my life parallels people lives like the, the Clark sisters. You right. know, my Maddie Moss Clark was Anthony Jerome Burchett. Come on. Still is. He's still my... Child, you love your oh, daddy. Oh, dear Lord Jesus, I love that man. He gets on my daddy. entire nerves. But I love him so because oh, he is my biggest cheerleader. He is the person, not the only person, but, you know, a huge person, <coughs> excuse me, in my life who will just not allow me to do less, be less. Mm -hmm. He's like, no, no. Since I laid eyes on you, I knew that you had something special, so don't you let nothing in you or outside of you get in the way of that. I don't care. But your father is a musician too, yeah, my right? Yeah, dad, um, my dad was in um, like guy groups, like Temptation-esque type groups, because my dad was a teenager, early 20s back during like when the Temptations and the Supremes were big time in Detroit. And he actually was in a group called The Compliments that used to open up for the Temptations. So wow. he tells me stories all the time mm -hmm. of hanging out with David Ruffin in his house and him and Melvin were really cool. And like he went to school with Diana. They went to this. No, 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 not Diana. Wow. Uh, he went to school oh. with um, your daddy was getting lit with David? No, no he wasn't, because my dad, my grandma ain't played that. So he... She didn't play nah, that, okay. Nah, he, he got a little wild later, but back then, no, no. Now, he was up in the mix, but he wasn't... Okay. You know, most he did was the beer and the weed or whatever. He wasn't out there being, wow, right, right, you know. Right. But, you know, and he was a little bit younger than them. You know, kind of like, yeah. you just 21, 22, so you really shouldn't even be hanging with us, but, you know... Tony's cool. That was the thing. Oh, Tony's cool. He could come hang. He could come kick it with us. But you know, that was his. That sounds like me. Yeah, that's his. That was his thing. And my dad can sing. Like I mean, he was. They called him one take Tony because my father would go in the studio and lay vocals down in one take, and they would be like, "Oh, we don't need no more takes. We got it." And so that's the kind of thing I grew up under. My father was a musician. He was a band leader for. Oh my God, 20 years or so, 20, 30 years. So I watched him lead a band. I watched him rehearse musicians. I sat on the basement steps when his his group in the 80s, the Federal Reserve, they were kind of like a 80s kind of R&B funk band. I used to sit there and watch them rehearse and watch the lead female vocalists. And, you know, and then when my sisters came along, you know, I was like the leader. I had to make sure, you know, we were learning our little songs and my dad was like Joe Jackson it was like oh no did he encourage you all to to start a group oh, cuz y'all had a group yes, right yes yes and he was 
he wasn't very happy when I left to go to college. He felt like I broke up the group. Mm-hmm. But you know, really, yeah, that was oh. that was kind of a traumatic thing we kind of had to work through. Are you serious? Yeah. I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For a long time, I I didn't know this, but my sisters resented me because mm. they were thinking, "Oh, we're gonna be this group," and you know, I just I I just had a lot going on. I I wanted to go to college. I didn't. I don't know that I necessarily wanted to be in a, a group exclusively. You know, mm-hmm. I wanted to get to explore that, and I grew up in the church, so I wasn't no exploring. I directed mm-hmm. choirs. Mm-hmm. I sang with my sisters, and I sang with girl groups in high school. So I didn't get a chance. I hadn't explored anything. And, you know, you when you, when you, my parents were younger when they had us, they, you know, we don't come out with a manual. So, you know, looking back, he's like, ah, God, I made so many mistakes, but, you know, things worked out. Thank God. But we had to work through that because, um, you know, they, they really kind of looked to me to, to, to keep, be the glue for that. And I just kind of, they felt like I just kind of walked away. So, but we, you know, we still to this day, when we get together, we'll sing, we'll play around and sing stuff. Um, but they're still singing, right? Well, they actually are a, a songwriting team. They do more of that okay. than they do singing. Okay. Now, they, but they do sing. They, they are artists as well. They put out a couple of albums that are exquisite. I love them. You've been doing these IG Live shows, and I know you talked about talking to Anjanu, but you've been doing music shows too, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've done um, some fundraisers. Well, not fundraisers. More charity charity things. Uh, I've done a couple of Broadway sessions um, where they've done... Uh, I know one is a Joe Biden fundraiser I did. I did another Black, Black Lives Matter one. But then me personally, uh, I got with the fellas that, you know, do lights out with me. Um, and we say, guys, we're going to, you know, once we feel safe enough to be, you know, around each other, a couple of us, let's get together and let's just do what we do virtually. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's growing people, you know, I think people still, you know, aren't super aware that we, we do it, but, um, People come and it's it's kind of like um, it's not quite like lights out. It's kind of like watching us in a, a shed session to prepare for lights out. We do mm-hmm. full performances, but you get us arguing and you get us <laughs> stopping to fix a tempo or me fussing. I'm always fussing at Taraka and he's always arguing with me about something. Uh, or we'll have a guest uh, pianist that also sings and we'll let them feature and just it just enjoy each other as musicians. And it's really, really been a lifesaver for us during this pandemic because, you know, y'all know y'all artists, we, part of the way we get through our lives is expression. And when that gets taken away, that's uncharted territory. Well, drop your social media so folk know where to go listen to you. Yes, we do the lives um, on my Facebook artist page, which is just my regular name, Angela Burchett. Uh, we do that on Mondays. Um, not every Monday. You just kind of got to check me out, follow me, like my artist page. And also on Instagram, I always post there. And that's the same thing, Angela Burchett. You can follow me there. Uh, I try to keep up to date with all the places I'm virtually appearing. So, Angela, can you tell us a bit about how you're feeling about this We See You movement that has taken over the theater artist space? <laughs> Did you put your, did you sign your name I, on the... Uh, I did sign my name. But, you know, actually, I just saw something um, in my email that really bothered me. And it made me feel like, you know what? We need our own. Because the reality is, 
y'all wait, we y'all all whatever waiting around for them to like, you know, cower to our demands ain't gonna happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just got an email about some casting officer, some voice teacher or something that is offering scholarships to train people of color to learn how what? to sing, really sing Christine from Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> and I wanted to break my phone. My first thought was, what makes you think that we, we're sitting at home hoping someone out there will take the time to teach us old us little darkies how to te- sing Christine from Phantom of the Opera and we need uh-huh. a scholarship it was specifically for bi- what do they call it bi- bi- BIPOC uh-huh. this is specifically for BIPOC people like we can't pay right. if we wanted to pay for this <laughs> because we- also Phantom of the Opera is boring as shit <laughs> so nobody wants to and even if you go through all of this and you get somebody to sound real great and be great they're never hiring a black Christine so stop right. with the, and, and right. even if they were I don't want to play her I don't want to be yeah. in Phantom of the Opera so this is what right. I'm saying I really feel like we have got to shift our focus. We have got to stop asking these people to let us in. And we have to shut the door. Hey, hey, bye-bye. Shut the door behind them. Let them go in their own door. Shut it. And we go over here and we do for us, by us, with us. Yeah. And that's I it. Agree. I know theater folk, and I've not been on Broadway, but I know the Broadway community, and I know how it works. And just like you, you, you were saying something different, Angela, but it's similar to what you just said. When these, when it goes and opens up, you gonna shuffle mm-hmm. at that audition. <laughs> you gonna change the. When they say be blacker, you gonna be blacker. So stop it. You know, just like really stop. And the reason why I say that is because, so you know, I tried to attend the little three day symposium that they had, <laughs> and the first day was the day where you get to express your experiences <laughs> with racism in the theater. I think I lasted for a good 10 minutes. Oh, boy. Because it opened up with, I don't remember his name, but the young man talking about doing this Black play and uh, the Black playwright uh, and how he, uh, basically a situation happened, the playwright wasn't there, um, and it, I think somebody asked a question about, like, I mean, is it it's the, is the black queer experience really like that? So I'm assuming that it was Daddy, and uh, the play Daddy, oh. and, and, and it was Jeremy O'Hara's play, which he is a whole other level of problematic. But basically... What I understood from that experience is that, because he basically talked about how I guess he felt attacked by the cast and director and there was nobody there present to support him and he felt, you know, this violence and terror. And I was just Mm. like, but part of that is you didn't have the language to advocate for yourself. Mm. Part of that Mm. is that you don't, because the thing is, is that there's a particular language that you have to do when you're dealing with white folks. 
You know, yeah. if, if I can be really frank. And a lot of folk don't understand it, you know, and they're afraid. I don't want to be the angry black person. I don't want to be do this and that. And like we talked about, Angela, in a, in a, in a private conversation, we talked about how, you know, the, situ- the real, the real yeah. situation is that they will fire you. They will blackball you, mm-hmm. you know, and, and make it to where you can't even have opportunities. But my thing is, is that where is your integrity? Because I would never sit in a room of anybody letting them berate me, letting them demean my experience. And so for me, I had to turn it off because I was like, there's a bigger problem here. You don't know how to advocate for yourself. I was going to say he probably had a similar experience as Jeremy O'Harris and his daddy. But, and I mean, the, the quotations, I mean, daddy, not daddy. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know... <laughs> You know, but like, you know, I, I think that the part of the reason is, I know part of the reason is that racism continues um, and persists is because we're afraid to advocate for ourselves. We're afraid to speak up, you know, and for me, I just couldn't participate any longer because I was just like, that's the conversation that needs mm-hmm. to be had because you're not going to change these folk. Like, they're going to remain yeah. the same. Uh-huh. You know, if, 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 if you need to understand that that is just what it is, but you still have the space to advocate for yourself. I just probably would have shut the conversation mm-hmm. down and said, we need to continue because you all don't know that you're being offensive and I don't have the time to teach you. I have to add <laughs> something to that. I feel like that on top of that fear, it's also, you know, artists, most of us are not extremely wealthy. And so these jobs are sources of income for people, sometimes on their last leg. And Well, this child was a Broadway actor. You know what I'm saying? This child was a Broadway actor, so I, I can't... I understand what you're saying on, like, you know, the ground level, but no. Mm-mm. <laughs> the other part of that, too, for me as a person in a different generation than you all, um, how... You know how are reading you or coming for you for keep saying that we in a different generation? <laughs> <laughs> we are. It's a multi-generational show. No, 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 wait, what um, is mine? I'm not, Kenzie, are we in the same one? I'm not going to put you out there like that. Because, <laughs> see, I think I need people to see me at the same time they see my age because I don't Absolutely. look the Absolutely. way up to my age. You better tell her. You better tell her. And you light skinned too, and you lucky because you don't have that trauma that some light skinned folk have. So my question, my question to both of you really is how do those of us who are like newly coming into this business, how do we deal with these situations and, you know, navigate these spaces where, you know, we may not have a name for ourselves yet or or credits. um, And so like, how do we, you know, deal with that? Your first question, um, AT, I've thought about that, particularly like the kids who are also now being affected by the pandemic who are just getting out of conservatory or just deciding to come to New York or LA or whatever. And I was thinking in my head, I don't even know what to tell y'all. Because, because (laughs) there is more to it than exposing the lack of diversity and the lack of respect for black people in the theater. It's juxtaposed with what's happening Mm. socially. So those things have all both been going on all the time. 
and and one kind of exposed the other. So what's what's gonna happen if if we don't quell, you know, get get the police killings under control, which we probably won't for a while. How does that affect white folks and how they deal with black people in the theater when it comes to hiring and treatment and rehearsals? And honestly, I I, I don't think I don't think they know because also against all of that is they're losing millions of dollars. <laughs> so their whole situation is going to be different yeah. because they're going to have to be trying to figure out how to juggle all these things at once. So I, I think that the, what I would say, A.T., I didn't, re, you know, I didn't think about these, you know, kids coming out of conservatory. I don't know what I would have done right. if I was coming out. ECM in this time. I don't know. I literally don't. And the thing is, is that they do usually, we did our showcase in March, and that's basically Ooh. when the pandemic started. Wow. So I don't know mm-hmm. what I would have done. But what I would say to you is first of all, create. Write. Create stuff. You know, we're doing this podcast together. You're working on your one-man show. Keep doing that. Keep mm-hmm. writing. Keep creating. Because like Angela said at the beginning, we need to do it for ourselves. Secondly, yeah. is what I said before. Because the thing is, is that I, that's why I think this whole movement right now is foolish. And I, when, when I say that, I'm talking about the black folk, you know, the participate, you know, because the thing is, is that racism is not going anywhere. And the re, and I'm going to just give, I have a long theory about it, but I'm going to give you the short. And it's because this pol- this country has not publicly apologized to black people. And until this country atones their greatest sin, racism is going to be pervasive. Mm-hmm. So trying to be like, stop, 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 you know, this begging foolishness, it's, 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 it is absurd. It's, it's out of control. What I will say to you is that you simply have to find their language, which you already have, and advocate for yourself. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You can respectfully say, I'm not going to have this conversation. You also got to use the words they use. You're being very violent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't feel safe. Yeah. Once you start using that language, they back the fuck <laughs> off. Okay? And so I think that, you know, that is what has to happen. I think that there needs to be more collaborations. Um, folk need to write because I'll also say my biggest problem with the we, we see you movement I said what you need to be asking for is them to be allowing authentic blackness to be portrayed on stage that's what you need to be mm-hmm. that's what you need to be demanding okay because there mm-hmm. are a few shows that I go to where I say oh I I I understand that experience. I've seen that experience. I want to. I really feel like the last show. I mean, I haven't been seeing a lot of shows lately just because I haven't been moved to. But the last show where I felt that was George D. Wolf's um, iteration of Shuffle Along. Mm. I thought that you know I was. I just, it was just a beautiful Black History lesson. It really was. That show too was about twenty minutes too long. But it, <laughs> you know, it was an amazing Black History lesson. And maybe before that, it was Fela. Oh. You know, so. Well, I'm saying one of the best things on Broadway, I swear. One of the best things on Broadway, you know, in this century, you know, and so I'm saying, like, you need to create more, you need to be writing, you need to collaborate more. That is what people need to do. And produce, we got to produce our own stuff. Mm -hmm. That is the long story, I think. Well, I, if I was being, I think I was being pessimistic in that moment when you asked me that, AT. But I absolutely agree with Kinsey 100%. What you're, what you're probably, 
or you're already doing, just keep doing what you're doing. And and keep pushing the envelope. I do think, and maybe this is wishful thinking, I generally don't live in optimism. I, I, I live in realism. But what I think is that this pandemic is going to create space for better actors, better writing, and better performances. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Yep. And so I think that this is the perfect time for you as a young artist to get in the door. Because I think mm-hmm. that you have the ability and you also um, have what it takes to create that kind of change. Mm-hmm. I accept that. Thank you. You're welcome, child. Go forth, young man. Go forth. Uh, I met Angela 18 years ago. Oh, my ago. gosh. <laughs> and, wow. Um, we were doing a little-known play called Once on this mm-hmm. Island. Um, yes. And I said this to Angela privately, but I think it's important to say it publicly. Um, I remember during that time, um, Angela was very self-conscious about her acting. She knew she could sing but she was very self-conscious about her acting. And I don't remember what I said to her, but I, you know, I, I said some things. And, you know, Angela, I have to tell you, when I saw your performance as Jackie Clark Chisholm, I was so proud of you. Ugh. I was so very proud of you. Um, any, any insecurities or challenges or, you know, doubts that you have about your acting capabilities, you really just need to turn that voice off and shut it down because your performance was very good. It was a fine performance. Um, And I'm just so happy for you and I'm excited to see your journey. I'm glad there's no video. (laughs) Are you crying? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I held mine in. I was about to tear up too, but I held it in. Well, Kinsey, that means you know that means so much to me and uh, you know that you know just being transparent because we that's the only way we gonna help each other is to, to be mm-hmm. transparent that was a really tough time for me um, yeah. because it was a show that I loved but I just I just felt like I didn't I didn't belong there I didn't I was made to I, I was made to feel that way and then yeah. I started to believe it and I just I was crying but there was something. The crying was was a, was a release because I had taken in what you said and said, "Okay, you're gonna go home. You're gonna eat some lunch. You're gonna chill out, and you're gonna go back to rehearsal. And you're gonna fucking do it. And you're gonna do it every day. And you're gonna yeah. do your best every day. If you gotta stay up and work on these steps in this room or work on your whatever you're gonna do, I go back to that moment when I, you know, all these times in my career that I've been doubting myself, even in big moments, you know." And I'm like, no, no, Ange, don't do that. Like, you can do this. Like, you're not some random schmandal who don't is clueless. So I, I, from the bottom of my heart, I, I truly appreciate you saying that and about the performance. It means so, 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 so much. And I just, I just love it. I love you too, my dear. <laughs> Y'all know y'all, I be reading the people. You know, if it was whack, I would tell you. Oh, I already you know. know. <laughs> you and would have gave me notes on what I could have done now. I know I would have. <laughs> but you know what? I mean, it wasn't really nothing you could have did with that part because the, the writing yeah. was terrible. But... It was terrible. But in that other scene, 
I am unsure what you were trying to convey. My suggestion, <laughs> which goes to show your director is, is what were they doing? Why didn't they catch okay. that? If I could catch that, why didn't they catch that? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, you know me very well. Oh yes, I do. Angela, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today. It is a pleasure and an honor to have you oh, on our show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Performing Black. Performing Black.